You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Disturbing memories from grandmothers, folklore monsters you've never heard of before, and a classic horror story retold. Today's episode is full of scary goodness, so heat up those chicken tendies and strap in. Welcome back to Unexplained Encounters. I'm your host, Darkness Prevails, and you can follow me on Twitter at Dark Prevails if you want to hear my crappy opinion on the Netflix show Cabinet of Curiosities, or if you just want to help me reach 12,000 followers. Enjoy this assortment of scary stories, and be sure to send me your scary stories of the unexplained at darkstories.org so I can narrate them on the show. And check out eeriecast.com for more free, creepy content. Now, let's begin. What is the Devil? From Sammy65 This story was told to me by my grandmother. I'll do my best to tell it myself. She lives in a small town in Mexico with her youngest daughter who takes care of her. The property she lives on is fairly large. There's my grandmother's house on one corner and on the opposite corner, three other houses, one for each of my uncles. Only one of my uncles lives in one of those houses, another lives in the US and the other passed away years ago. One night, my grandmother heard loud barking and whining coming from one of the dogs outside. There are five dogs on the property. They can be very territorial and aggressive if strangers or animals approach the place. My grandmother thought someone was trying to break into the house. She wanted to go outside and check around herself, but if there really was someone out there, she wouldn't be able to do much. So instead, she went to wake up my aunt. As she made her way over to my aunt's room, she heard something being dragged outside. She paused for a minute, paying close attention to the sound. She could tell it was heavy because the dragging sound was slow. The other four dogs began barking then, and it sounded like all heck had broken loose. My grandmother hurried to my aunt's room. My aunt was a deep sleeper and was sleeping peacefully in bed, unaware of what was happening. She shook her in a hurry, calling her name, Laura, Laura. It took a minute but my aunt woke up, asking what was wrong. The dogs are going crazy. I think there's someone out there. My aunt stood from the bed, looking out the window, but she couldn't see much, and all she heard was barking. Maybe the dog saw an animal or something. You know how they get. No, something's going on. I heard something being dragged around down there. Call your brother. He'll be able to see if someone's out there. My aunt called my uncle multiple times, but every time it went directly to voicemail. There wasn't any way they could leave the house without being seen. The house had two exits, but they were both in front of the house, one door located on the far right and the other on the far left. They would be seen if they tried to leave. They began getting anxious. The dogs were still going crazy outside and they'd gotten closer to the house. They could hear the barking right outside the front door. What if we check it out? We could open the front door, but not the screen one. My aunt was hesitant, but agreed. They both made their way towards the door and quietly opened it. It was dark outside and they couldn't see much. Something caught my grandmother's eyes in the corner of the property. It was a large pitch black shape that was slowly moving on the ground. Look, my grandmother whispered, pointing towards the thing. My aunt followed her finger and noticed the shape. 
What is that? Although it was dark outside, this thing was darker than the night, and it was moving towards the line of trees. The trees on the property weren't the nicest. They had a very rough exterior, making it hard to climb on them. But this thing had begun making its way up one of them. The dogs moved closer to it and surrounded the tree, barking aggressively at it. The light from the moon gave them just enough light to see some of the features of this thing. It looked almost like a blob having no real shape. It was hairy, extremely hairy, with matted fur. There was no tail or ears, arms or legs, nothing that they could see. What is that? My aunt asked, scared, unable to look away from the thing. This thing had disappeared within the leaves of the tree branches, but it wasn't long before it had begun going back down. Dear God, it's coming back down. My grandmother breathed out in a panic. The dogs then stopped barking. They went from trying to kill this thing to being afraid. They cowered with their tails tucked between their legs as they shook violently, backing away, whimpering. The eyes, oh, the eyes of this thing were barely visible, but they were there, pitch black like everything else about it, but you could feel its sinister gaze. It was watching them. My grandmother began praying silently. The thing had made its way back down the tree and was moving towards the direction of the other's houses. They watched as it made its way through the yard, between the houses and over the cement wall that separated the properties. They watched as it continued up towards the hills, and as it did, other dogs from other properties began barking loudly just as theirs had been. When it reached the top of the hill, past all the houses, it stood up and ran off, disappearing into the night. The next day, my grandmother told all her kids what she had seen. No one knew what it was. It didn't look like any animal they'd ever seen, and no animal had ever tried climbing those trees. They haven't seen it since, but ever since that night, something hasn't felt right. My mother says it was the devil himself paying them a visit says that it takes up different forms to pay visits to people. It wouldn't be the first time someone in the family got paid a visit by something inhuman. The Kuman Tong from J. Ion My grandmother was born and raised in a rural village in the south of Thailand. She lived with her grandfather, my great-great-grandfather, for most of her childhood. Because great-great-grandpa was a shaman and healer of the white magic persuasion, he was often visited by people, local and elsewhere, for advice, cleansings, and exorcisms. When my grandmother was six years old, there was an epidemic of grave robbing in her village and the surrounding areas. However, unlike typical tomb raiders, instead of robbing valuables or harvesting cadavers, the graves that were robbed were exclusively those of miscarried children and stillborns. The grave robbers would often dig up the remains and completely empty the gravesite without even filling in the gaping holes or tidying up the desecration they left in their wake. Many families, already grieving the loss of their unborn children, flocked to great-great-grandpa's home to seek advice. Unfortunately, the remains of these little children won't ever be found, Science and technology back then were not advanced enough. Plus, there really wasn't any law enforcement in those rural areas, and there really was no way of finding out where those fetuses are when no one even knows who did the robbing or when those graves were robbed. However, great-great-grandpa and the families knew what the remains of these little children were being taken for. They were going to, or have been made into, Kumantong, also known as little fetus monsters. As each kumantong is the physical body and soul of a child trapped in a bottle or jar, the poor creature will never be able to reincarnate nor move on to a different realm. Black magic shamans who use blood and unethical forms of mystic practices to bind the poor creature to its eternally damned fate will then sell these trapped souls to unscrupulous people who wish to pursue the quickest route to wealth and power. 
great-great-grandpa could only console the grieving families and encourage them to perform prayers or do good deeds to ease their suffering and perhaps gain good karma for their descendants. He also advised anyone who miscarried or had young children pass away to not bury them in a cemetery, but rather cremate their remains. Without a physical body, it would be very difficult for the black magic shamans to trap the little children's souls. Cremating remains also completely emancipates the soul from its physical bonds to this realm, so it is free to go wherever it likes or move on to a better world. For families who could not afford to cremate their children, they would turn to the Buddhist temples for help in doing so. Some families would even bury their dead in unmarked secret locations. Thus, the scourge of grave robbing ended. However, just a few months later, there was a huge spike in burglaries throughout the village and nearby places. These burglaries were done mysteriously. Doors, windows, walls, and roofs remained intact. Yet the most valuable items, no matter how large or heavy, would vanish without a trace. Some even realized their most prized possessions would disappear right under their noses, even as they slept directly above said possessions. Again, many people visited great-great-grandpa as they all suspected the same thing. A kumantong, or a few of them, were taking the villagers' precious items and money to enrich someone somewhere. Great-great-grandpa did anticipate something like this happening, so he told all the villagers to put needles and sharp items where they kept their valuables. Those who were extra cautious even placed knives next to their windows and hung thorny leaves over their home's entrances. Those who carried their valuables with them were advised to keep toothpicks or skewers on them. This was because supernatural creatures of Southeast Asia are said to be afraid of pointy objects since they cannot recover from wounds like humans do, and their powers would diminish with every injury, so they'll always stay away from such items. The village went back to being peaceful after that, for the most part. Aside from the occasional neighborhood disputes, my grandmother's village was mostly quiet and boring. After great-great-grandpa passed away, my grandmother left her village, Shortly after that, she met and married my grandfather, and she never returned to her hometown. As urbanization spread into every corner of Thailand, and people were coming and going constantly. Grandma doesn't know if people kept up the practices of supernatural crime prevention. As for her household, Grandma kept at her routines that seemed bizarre to most people these days, like placing upside-down brooms against doors to prevent human burglaries, and leaving sewing kits all over the house to prevent supernatural creatures from entering. Much to the chagrin of my safety-conscious aunts, and never allowing us to open umbrellas in the house, even if a monsoon was pummeling us, for fear of releasing a rogue spirit within our walls. Either way, because of her, I carry pins in my wallet. I'm not taking any chances when it comes to a little fetus monster with kleptomania. Don't mess with the Dark Angel. From Silver Bullet 54. If you ever travel to Iowa City, Iowa, someone will probably mention Oakland Cemetery. Sounds benign and innocuous enough, right? Well, it pretty much is most of the time. However, there's one feature there that is not nice or innocent at all. One wrong move, and they'll make sure you pay. That's the Black Angel of Oakland Cemetery. As the story goes, a young man had an angel statue commissioned for his dead mother, but he didn't choose obsidian, onyx, or any other dark material. He wanted it in bright and gleaming bronze. What he didn't tell anyone is that his mother was a very evil and hateful woman. No one knows the details of her, but she was not well-liked, even by her own family. As the years passed, the angel turned black. Not only that, but even its pose is spooky. Its wings are down rather than up, which represents dread, failure, and hopelessness. It also looks down rather than up, like all other angel statues do. This means it's given up rather than being optimistic. As for the dark patina, skeptics say it's weathering, 
but anybody who knew the family say the woman's evil spirit has possessed and cursed the statue. After a dumb idea, I believe it. In 2007, I went to Iowa to see a football game with some friends during an Iowa home game. After the game, we passed by the cemetery and got out to look. We weren't going to mess with anything. Soon we noticed a huge shadow over us. We looked up, and there she was, staring at us it seemed. The Black Angel. I quickly noticed that her irises bulge out in a swirl pattern. Before I said anything, a girl touched the foot of the statue and said it felt ice cold. I told her that we were all going to get it, since the angel will not accept any contact or desecration. She said I need to stop reading comic books, then we left. I wished I had apologized for her touching it because we immediately got hit with an overflowing amount of horrible luck. Over the next five years, I experienced the death of 10 people I knew in car accidents. I got fired from two previous jobs, broke a toe, lost a girlfriend, and had to move out before I was entirely prepared to do so. My other friends experienced similar problems, sans the moving out and car accidents, but there was also almost 30 friends of mine who got busted for a drinking party and destruction of private property. Three of them saw the angel with me, and one of my friends had to go through the death of their best friend. I also got sick multiple times the first few months after the visit, and the girl who touched the statue suffered a shattered leg in an accident. So in 2020, I finally mustered the courage to go back to the cemetery and gave a sincere apology to the angel, leaving fresh flowers at the base of it. I kept my eyes down because looking in her eyes is said to be bad luck as well. Have any of my friends apologized? I have no idea. But I do know that after my apology, my life became pretty good again. Now I have the normal good days and the normal bad days. All I know is that next time I go to a cemetery or graveyard... I'll just treat it as a normal visit. After all, why would I want to be cursed again? Ghost in the House From Anonymous My then-fiancé, Jake, had a brother that lived in a different state. He'd go visit him once a year during the summer. After I got with Jake, I would go with him to visit his brother. This was during one such visit to his brother's house. We were going to sleep in the basement. The second I walked down the stairs and into the guest room, I could sense something. I've always been able to sense paranormal entities, and though I was used to it, it always scared me. I knew there was a presence here, and I went running up the stairs. Now, Jake's brother had a wife and a young son. I never heard them speaking of anything paranormal and I didn't say anything when I came back up, in case they wouldn't believe me. Plus, they were religious, and I thought they would be angry if I talked about ghosts or demons. I'd hate to be accused of making up stories just to scare their son, which is something I would never do. We went a couple of more times there, and I could sense the ghost each time, but it never did show itself until, well, one night around midnight, Jake and his brother were playing video games in the living room. I walked into the kitchen to make myself a sandwich. Jake's brother's wife and son were already in bed. I stood at the counter and out of the corner of my eye, I saw this dark shadow. It was a tall, dark, shadowy figure that swung two of the kitchen cabinets wide open, then ran back down the stairs. I panicked and ran into the living room. I told Jake, but he and his brother dismissed me acting as if I didn't say anything. They didn't even look at or acknowledge me at all. It couldn't have been Jake's brother's wife or son since they were pretty short and they could not reach the cabinets like that. And if either of them had come into the kitchen, I would have seen them as they walked past me. I walked back in the kitchen and closed the cabinet doors. Then I went back into the living room and said nothing more about it. I poured salt around our bed that night and all the fear melted away after I did. That night, the air was still. I feel as if that spirit knew that I knew it was there, and that's why it presented itself to me that night. 
The ghost didn't seem malevolent. It seemed like it was trying to play a practical joke on me. But it still scared me. Jake and I broke up and his brother and his family moved into a new house that I've never been to. But I'll never forget how much that house scared me. I hope the people that live there now will not be terrorized by that thing. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. Do you believe in monsters? And given the chance, would you be brave enough to track one down on your own? In June's Journey, people are the true monsters, and you can live the story yourself rather than sitting back and listening to one. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too, in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. A listener requested that I narrate this classic ghost story again. It's been a long time, and my narration style and skill has evolved over the years, so I figured it'd be fun to reread for you all. Enjoy. The Lantern, The Boatman, and The Laughing Children From Joshua LaRue I'm a 32-year-old man, yet it is broad daylight as I write this post, because what I'm about to share haunts me to this day to the point that merely thinking about it, or in this case typing this memory, is enough to send chills down my body and make me feel like a terrified child. I've only told this story to a handful of people over the past 10 years because of how terrifying an experience it was for me. But I feel it can be therapeutic to get it off my chest and share with others. Maybe others have had a similar experience. If so, please let me know. To tell this story and give it justice, I have to tell you of an experience that happened three years before the terrifying encounter this post is about. Buckle up. This will be a long post, but definitely not boring. My name is Joshua. I'll change the names to protect the privacy of the others involved in the story. I live in Arkansas, and in late 2003, near the middle of fall, right before it started to get really cold, my wife and I were invited to camp with a friend of mine and his girlfriend at Sugarloaf Lake, Oklahoma. I say camp, but the actual plan was to meet at Sugarloaf, and my friend, Bob, wanted to take me and my wife around to some paranormal places in the Sugarloaf area. So we got there around 7pm. I was driving a white Ford 1996 F-150. Bob was driving a 1980-something white Celebrity. It was really a piece of crap vehicle. Anywho, it was late dusk, becoming dark, and we all climbed into Bob's car. He took us around the area. First, to an old abandoned house, but other than some raccoons rustling around, it was a two-hour waste of time. Then he took us to a graveyard, which was supposed to be haunted. Again, a bust. Then we went to an old church that was run down and also was supposed to be haunted. Yawn. At this point, it was getting close to midnight. My wife and I were getting pretty bored. I spoke up to Bob, saying, Man, this really hasn't been that freaky of a night. That's when Bob smiled, saying that he was saving the best for last. He handed me a Polaroid picture of a hillside covered in trees and daylight. I asked him what it was, and he asked me if I saw a house or any type of light pole or anything in that picture, to which I replied, no. He took the picture back and said, that's because there isn't, and there are no power lines either. About this time, he turned down an old dirt road and passed a small house. Then after that, it was two miles of dirt road with woods on one side, 
and barbed wire fence on the other, with about two acres of field connecting to a wooded hillside. Nothing to light the night except the full moon overhead and the clear starry sky. After what seemed like forever, he stopped the car and told us all to get out. We did as he asked. He walked us to the side of the car where the fence, field, and wooded hillside was. He looked at his cell phone. His phone and mine had no signal. This was 2003 and this area had no cell towers. But he looked at his phone and said it was 1157 and told us all to watch the middle of the hillside. Even in complete dark, I could tell this was the same field and hillside from the picture. Two minutes go by and nothing has changed. Then at exactly midnight, a small light flickered on in the middle of the hillside. A chill ran down my back as my wife, Bob, his girlfriend, and I watched as this small light, which to me looked like an old kerosene lantern, began to move, swaying back and forth. We sat and watched in complete silence for what seemed like several minutes. Finally, I spoke up and asked what the story was with this. Bob replied he didn't know, but locals had told him that at midnight every night, this lantern will light up and sway back and forth through the woods until the sun comes up. Then it disappears. Apparently, no one knew what the story was. At the time, I was a 19-year-old guy who didn't think anything could scare me or hurt me. So, since there were no houses around, I yelled out, We see you! Wow, you're so scary with your little lantern! Bob shushed me, but it was too late. My wife screamed and pointed. I was laughing, but my laughing stopped as I looked to the hillside to see the lantern swaying back and forth, but it was moving down the hillside to the field at an inhuman pace. Gliding, it began to speed across the field towards our car. We did not stick around to see what it was, because within seconds, we were in the car and flying down the dirt road back to the lake. We looked back then to see the lantern moving slowly back up the hillside to where it first appeared. The ride back was silent, until Bob spoke up, saying, Crap, I forgot to put gas in earlier, and the only store around here is closed. He explained if we decided to go back out anywhere, it'd be best to take my truck, until he could get gas in the morning, as he only had about half a quarter of a tank. I said okay. And a few minutes after that, we arrived back at Sugarloaf Lake. We'd parked by the lake docks and we dropped my tailgate. We sat and talked about what had just happened. Now, Bob's girlfriend was pregnant at the time. She told him she was hungry. He told her we had brought some snacks, but she said she needed actual food. But since the local store was closed, he asked if we could take my truck to the next town over to get some food, because his car wouldn't have enough gas to get us to that town. I obliged. We shut our cooler, put the tailgate up, and loaded into my truck. I turned the key and nothing happened. My truck was dead, deader than dead. No ding, no lights, no clicking noise, nothing. For all intents and purposes, you would think the alternator was out. This was strange, and after the night we'd had so far, it made us all feel uneasy. We got out of the truck and we popped the hood, pulling Bob's car around to the front and attempting to jump my truck with his car. This is where it gets even weirder. As soon as we connected the jumper cables to his battery and mine and his girlfriend started his car, within a second, the cables in between the connectors began to smoke and in a flash of fire, they burned up. The cables were nothing more than bits of melted rubber and ash with only the end clamps still on the batteries. Bob runs and turns off his car. We take the clamps off our batteries. We looked at each other in the eerie moon and starlight. Now remember, there were no light poles around. We both got a bad feeling at the exact same time, as we suddenly realized we'd been hearing a distant noise in the lake that was now getting louder. It was a boat motor. Like I said, this was the time of year it was starting to get cold especially at night. We were bundled up as it was, and we were standing still on land at night. But somebody was out there on a boat. After midnight? 
when it had to be chilly as all get out with the wind hitting them? And from the sound of this motor, it was going pretty fast. But we didn't see anything. Not until the boat was about 50 yards away and a very bright spotlight comes on temporarily blinding us all. Bob and I tell the women to get in his car and lock the doors. I reach into the bed of my truck and give Bob a tire tool and I pick up another. I work at a tire shop and had all kinds of tools of the trade in my truck. We're standing in front of the vehicles in the middle, the hoods up on both as the boat pulls up to the dock. Two heavily bearded men in their 30s to 40s step out of the boat and walk up to us. It's hard to give an accurate description as their spotlight was still pointed at us, and it covered the men in an eerie shadow whilst blinding Bob and I. They looked at us, then to our vehicles. Then I saw one of them glance in the direction of the car at the women, then back at us. Then he let out a small chuckle. You fellers got some sort of car trouble? One asks as he lights up a cigarette. Yeah, but it's nothing we can't handle, I stammered. The guy with the cigarette sniffs the air and looks down between Bob and I's feet. He sees the still smoking ashes of what was the jumper cable. Looks like it was more than your jumper cables can handle. Y'all need some help? We got some tools in the boat I think can fix you guys' problems right up. Then the other man who had chuckled in the beginning said, Mm-hmm, fix them right up. I was speechless at the moment, probably with my mouth hanging open. I can't remember. The two men then walked back to their boat, and we heard what sounded like chains rattling around as we tried to make out what they were doing, but the spotlight was so blinding we could barely see. But the chain noise was enough. Bob looked at me, and without saying a word, we both jumped in his car and drove the heck out of there. For the next few hours, we drove to a populated area of houses, which wasn't many in the rural area we were pretty much stuck in since we had very little fuel. But we all sat in the car mostly quiet, looking around in all directions in near panic, thinking at any time those men would find us. Bob would turn his lights on every now and then thinking he had seen movement in the dark. After a while, the women fell asleep, and Bob and I talked about how freaking weird this whole ordeal had been. He laughs, saying, <laughs> I told you it'd be a scary night, just didn't know it'd be this scary. At that point, the paranormal lantern wasn't even the main thing freaking me out, but the men never showed up, and eventually the morning was on its way. It was about 20 minutes until sunrise, when Bob asked if I wanted to see if the lantern really disappears at sunrise. I asked if he was sure he had enough gas to do that, and he said, yeah, the local store opens up in about an hour, so we should be fine. I reply, in that case, then yeah. We wake up the women and drive back to that hillside. We get there with about four minutes left until sunrise. We still see the lantern swaying in the woods. Bob looks at me and I smile and do the motion for zipping my lips. We all watch in wonder as, right at sunrise, the lantern slowly fades away to nothing. After that, we got back in the car and we drove back to the lake, feeling safer now. When we got there, there was no sign of the boat and the hood of my truck was still up, doors all locked. On a whim, I told Bob I'm going to try to start the truck one more time before driving us somewhere where I can get some cell signal and call for help. And I'll be danged. The truck started right up with no hesitation and no problem. We then all went our separate ways, happy to have seen the sunrise and counting our blessings, swearing to leave the paranormal investigating in this area to others. We swore that we never wanted to come back to this area and run into the boat people again. However, all things fade with time, even fear and common sense. Three years later, Bob, who I haven't seen in almost two years at that point, calls me up and he says he's got a proposition for me. He goes on to tell me he has a group of himself and three other Wiccans who go out and do seances in haunted places. He asked me if I would be willing to film their sessions in the haunted places for their records and that they would pay me well for my services. I am no Wiccan, but I've always loved the paranormal. Even after what I went through at Sugarloaf, 
I still had an itch to scratch when it came to getting scared and dealing with the paranormal and the unknown. So I told him yes, I'd love to film for them, but I had no interest in joining in. I was okay with just watching and getting to be out there looking into the paranormal again. So of course my next question was when and where are we going to be doing this at first? When he answered, I got a terrible gut feeling and I wished so much that I'd trusted my gut and told him that I'd changed my mind. Remember that lantern light out near Sugarloaf? He asked, as if there was any way I could ever forget. Uh, yeah? I stammered. Why do you ask? I told my group the story and they want to do the ritual there and see if we can contact the spirit and find out why it's there and what it wants. Bob replied, I don't know, man. I said, ah, come on, Josh, trust me, you'll be safe, and I'm going to pay you 250 bucks just to sit there and film it, he retorted. At the time, I was about to become a father, and money was tight because, well, diapers, formula, and the like, costs a small fortune. Not to mention it was my first kid, and my new wife's first kid, so she had been going crazy spending money on not just the necessities, but also buying only top-of-the-line baby products, including toys, a crib, playpen, baby monitor, stroller, car seat, a combination pack, and play changing table, and all that. So, because my wife was putting us in the poorhouse, I had to weigh out my fear of the area he wanted to go back to with how important it was to me I make all the extra money I could. So, against my better judgment, I accepted the offer. And, a week later, I was in the same beat-down celebrity Bob was driving three years back, this time with Bob and two guys and a girl that were complete strangers to me. Each of them were dressed very gothic and had these pentagram necklaces or something of the sort. It was 11.50 when we got there, and the four of them sat in a tight circle. I was behind them to the right, about five feet from the barbed wire fence that was in front of the field that led to the hillside. My back was to the hillside and bushes at the fence line. I was filming my friend's circle as they all started chanting something. As I've been typing this entire post, I've been getting knots in my stomach knowing that I was coming to this part of the story. This portion of the tale haunts my dreams and even my waking hours to this day. I'm going to do my best to describe how the following events unfolded, though I know mere words cannot do justice to the pure terror that ensued or how horribly horrific the events sounded and were. So when reading or listening to this, turn your imagination all the way up. And believe me when I say, up to this point in my life, I was interested in the paranormal. It had been a fun hobby to go out ghost hunting, or getting myself spooked, or whatever. But after this night, I never looked at the paranormal as fun or interesting anymore. I showed respect, and I stay as far away as possible. As much as I dread it, I'll now finish telling you this story. As his group chanted, Bob lit up this huge candle in the middle of them, opening up some sort of book. It wasn't like some scary antique spell book or anything. It looked like a newer hardcover. Anyway, he began reciting words from it, and then he looked at his phone and tells the group to be quiet, to look up at the hill. I turned the camera and at midnight on the dot, the lantern appeared. One member of Bob's group blurts out, Cool. I rolled my eyes since the way these people were dressed and the way they carried themselves. The word cool didn't seem to fit in their vocabulary. Then Bob says to his group to join hands as they attempted to communicate with the spirit. I turned my back to the light and began to film the group as they began to chant. Bob read from the book, then they began to ask questions in hopes the spirit would respond. About that time, a wind picked up and Bob's candle went out. He told everyone to hold on and tells me to cut the camera for a minute. I obliged and stopped recording. I watched as Bob tried his lighter, then two lighters from his group, but none of the lighters were working. I sat down watching the group when I began to hear a rustling sound behind me. I jumped up, leaving the camera on the ground, and I spun around. Bob and his group were preoccupied with their candle and lighter problem. As I spun around, 
I was blinded by the brightest light I'd ever seen. I believe what I saw was the lantern up close and personal, but as quick as it appeared, the light was gone, and the lantern was nowhere to be seen. If it had been that lantern that blinded me, it had moved from the hillside across the field and right behind me, with me not even realizing it, within the span of only 30 seconds. I look around for the lantern on the hillside, and nothing. But it's only 12.15 or so. The lantern light had always stayed until sunrise. Just then, the wind stopped blowing, and I heard Bob's lighter finally flick, and I see it light up. I then muttered, Um, guys, did you see that? They all turned and asked what I was talking about, but before I could answer them, we all stopped, dead in our tracks, by the sound of a distant laughter coming from seemingly nowhere, yet everywhere around us, yet somehow it was distant, like far off, and this was no ordinary laughter. This laughter sounded like the laughter of hundreds, if not thousands of children. That haunts me to this very moment. As I type this, I'm looking around the room I'm in. Whenever I think or talk about this experience, I can vividly remember that terrifying sound and hear it in my head. It just occurred to me as well, if you put the letter S at the beginning of laughter, it spells slaughter. Why did I have to think of that now? The best way I can describe the laughter is for you to imagine listening to a large group of kids singing row, row, row your boat. You know how one kid will start and seconds later another will join in, starting at the beginning of the song and so on. Well, this sounded like I said, like hundreds of thousands of children laughing, as if one would start laughing, then seconds later another would begin, and that pattern would go on in an endless loop. I'm not saying the laughter sounded like the song Row 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 Your Boat, I'm saying they laughed in unison with a delay, just like kids singing Row 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 Your Boat. On top of that, the laughing was getting louder and closer. There was sinister laughing, goofy laughing, giggling all around us coming from every direction. I was shaking. I couldn't move besides spinning around and around, looking off in the distance. This couldn't be real. This sort of thing doesn't happen in real life. What the heck was happening? I screamed at Bob and his group, telling them we needed to get the heck out of there but they were all already running for the car, leaving their Wiccan book and candle behind, and without hesitation, I ran after them, jumping in the car, just as the laughter became deafening. We hauled tail out of there, driving about a mile up the road and pulling over, as Bob was in no condition to drive. We were all freaking out, we all got out of the car and paced around it, asking one another if we really just heard what we heard. I told Bob that I was sorry, because I had left his camera behind. He says he doesn't care, that he's not going back for it. At this point, I got my hands on my knees, panting, trying to catch my breath. I had never in my life felt so terrified. That's when all of our chatter stops, as we begin to hear the laughter in the distance very quietly at first, but steadily getting closer and closer louder and louder, until once again it was becoming deafening. We jumped back in the car and sped away from it. We drove about six miles, and for the first three miles, we could all still hear the laughter in the distance with our windows cracked. We all began to calm down a little by mile four, when the laughter could no longer be heard. But we had no intention of pulling over again, and one of Bob's friends was in the passenger seat with his phone, waiting for a signal to pop up. At about mile six, he announced that he had full bars. He handed the phone to Bob, and Bob called a friend of his who was into the occult, well-versed and educated in it. As we're driving, he was describing what happened to the lady on the other end. Bob later told me his friend said she believed it was the children of Hecate or something like that. I have no idea about what Hecate is, but it sounded more like a guess to me. As Bob was on the phone speeding out of the area, and the two other people in the back seat all got a chill at the same time, 
They told me later that just like me, the hair on the back of their neck stood up as a loud snapping noise came from the front of the car. Bob's celebrity stops dead in its tracks and will no longer move forward. He tried everything, but the car would not move. We later discovered that a tie rod had snapped. The friend Bob was talking to on the phone only lived about 20 minutes away from where we were, and they said they were on their way. As we sat in the car, nobody spoke, and after about three minutes, we saw a pair of headlights coming down the road towards us. However, we knew it was far too soon to be Bob's friend. Bob and I thought maybe we could get a ride from a local. We all unloaded out of the car and stood in front of it, waiting on the vehicle to hopefully stop for us. Now, at the moment, I couldn't be certain, but my gut was telling me I was correct. The vehicle didn't stop, but as it came into view, it was a beat-up old pickup truck. It did slow down enough for me to see two men in the truck in their 30s to 40s with huge beards, and they stared at us speeding up after they passed by. I looked at Bob, and before I could speak, he says what I was already thinking. The guys from that boat. Before I can say anything, we see headlights coming from the direction where the truck had been going. We went still and quiet, as the same guys in the same truck passed by slowly again, staring at us as we stood there on the side of the road. Bob called his friend back, telling her to drive like heck and get here now. He hung up, and four or five minutes go by, and we see headlights coming again. Relieved, we all get our things ready, thinking it was Bob's friend. Then his phone rings. On the phone was the lady friend who was coming to get us. She told Bob she took a wrong turn, and it was going to be about 10 to 15 more minutes before she gets there. Bob hangs up the phone, and watches on in terror, as do I, as the same truck slowly passes by once more, this time with only one of the boatmen in the truck. This time though, the driver slows to a crawl and says, looks like you fellers could use some help. Then he speeds up and drives off. This cemented the fact to Bob and I that we were definitely dealing with the boat guys, but where the heck did the other guy go? Why wasn't he in the passenger seat this time? And to make matters worse at this point, something we had almost completely forgotten about due to the boatmen showing up was the laughter. We were quickly reminded of it as we began to hear the laughter again off in the distance, but all around us like before. And over the course of the next few minutes, it began getting closer and closer. I was almost soiling my pants then as the sound was getting deafening but this time, we had nowhere to run. Suddenly, from behind our car, off in the distance, we saw two sets of headlights come on, two vehicles coming towards us, slowly side by side, taking up the entire width of the backcountry dirt road, both coming our direction. The laughter was so loud and close now, it seemed to be coming from the woods on both sides of the road we were stuck on, and it seemed to be zeroing in on us, as if the hundreds or thousands of children were within reaching distance of us. There was no wind, no sound other than the crunching of tires on the rocky dirt road of the two vehicles slowly driving towards us. With our last shred of hope fading away into the laughter of the children and the headlights of the two vehicles surely being driven by the boatmen, we were given a reprieve, as at this time coming from the other direction, we see another set of headlights coming fast. We held our breaths. The laughter, the boatmen, what was going to be next? How were we going to get out of this? That's when this new vehicle that was coming fast pulls up. It's Bob's best friend. She unlocks the doors on her car and rolls her windows down and begins to tell us to get in. When this happens, the two sets of headlights coming from the other direction turn off, and Bob's friend says, Oh my God, you weren't kidding about the laughter. She yelled at us to get in, and we listened. We began to tell her about the boat guys. She turned the car around, and no sooner than she started to drive away, the two sets of headlights come on again, this time with their brights on. They get close enough to be only about a car length behind the car we were all crammed in. I yelled to the driver, Go, 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 go! Channeling my inner Jeff Goldblum, 
I told her, must go faster, must go faster. She floored it, and for about a mile, the two vehicles stayed on our tail, then they turned off onto a side road. For the next two miles after that, we could all hear the laughter still way off in the distance with our windows down. A few miles after that, the laughter was gone. To this day, I have no explanation to what happened, what the laughing children were, why the laughing followed us. I have no idea if the boatmen were connected to all of this somehow, or if they were merely a coincidence that happened to terrify us at the same time as the paranormal things that were going on. If that is the case, why didn't they react to the laughing children's sound? Is the lantern connected to the laughing children? Or did Bob and his group mistakenly call forth the laughing children through their ritual? Like I said, this happened years ago, but I still feel just as terrified now when I tell people about it or think about it. I've had constant chills and goosebumps as I've written this, and I'm sorry for typos or grammar issues, but I'm a bit shaky as well. I'm going to post this story as is, I hope it's readable and I hope somebody who reads this and has had a similar experience can share their story with me. In a weird way, I believe that would help me deal with the trauma this experience still causes me to this day. To all of you who think the paranormal is just a fun hobby to get your thrills with, I beg of you, I warn you, that we are not prepared for what is really out there. You can think nothing will scare you or harm you, but you're dealing with unknown things. You have no idea how powerful or mundane the paranormal could be. If you use the paranormal as a thrill-seeking hobby, just use caution and always have your vehicle checked out beforehand. And make sure to watch out for seemingly sociopathic hillbillies and laughing children. I hope everyone who reads this sleeps well, but I know that after telling my story like this, that for at least the next few nights, I'll be getting no sleep at all. As I'm reviewing and editing my post, I just recalled an important coincidence. When we had driven fast away from the lantern in 2003, after it came swooping across the field towards us, the song Unforgiven by Metallica had been playing on the radio. And then in 2006, when we had first heard the laughter, when we were by the hillside and jumped in the car, the same song was on again, this time on a mixtape that one of Bob's fellow Wiccans had made and brought. There's no way he could have known that song played last time we were there, because he hadn't been there in 2003. And Bob didn't remember the same song playing in 2003 until I brought it up to him, as a weird coincidence. Upon remembering these details, Bob got goosebumps. Thank you for listening to another unsettling episode of Unexplained Encounters. You can send us your story to have it narrated on the show at darkstories.org. Unexplained Encounters is an EerieCast original series. You can find other horror-themed podcasts at EerieCast.com, such as Redwood Bureau, a fictional anthology series, Freaky Folklore, a documentary-style series about myths and cryptids around the world, Destination Terror, a show about the most haunted places, and Tales from the Break Room, another show I host all about the scary things that happen to people at work. Again, that's EerieCast.com. By the way, if you want fewer annoying ads and you want to support what we do, consider going to EerieCast.com plus to sign up for EerieCast Plus. That unlocks all our podcasts with all but host red ads removed. Until next time, stay safe out there and stay creepy because this world is a strange one.